Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. So I am excited to be continuing our series, The Life is Better Together, and we're tackling the question, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from taking the next step of faith? So our mission as a church is to make Jesus known so that lives and communities will be transformed. And our vision to see that happen is to connect, grow, give, and go. But rather than simply just focusing on the four words, my heart in this series is to look at the transition between each of those words. To how do we move from connect to grow? How do we continue to grow and, and move to giving and the joy of serving and the joy of serving? And then how do we move from giving to a place of going? which is probably, like I admitted last week, one of the most uncomfortable because there's unknowns and it's moving out of our comfort zone and the place that we've grown up in. So the one illustration, I don't have my whiteboard this week, but the one illustration that Chris was talking about is that I kind of drew a cross between the connect and the grow. And we're kind of looking at it too in stages of unbelief to new belief to growing belief, and then mature belief. And so last week we talked about the connection and making a decision for Christ and choosing to follow Christ. And you have three options. You can either choose absolutely not, you're crazy, and you go the other way. And I hope you don't choose that. I hope you at least choose the second option, which is I need to think about this because it's a lot of information. It's new to me. And I really hope that you do think about it and that you, you, you ask questions, and that if you need a Bible in your hands, we'll get you a Bible in your hands. If you need to go out for coffee and chat, we'll go out for coffee and chat. And then the third is to actually say, I need to make this step of faith. I need to commit my life to Jesus, and I need to, to follow him. And I don't know what that all means. I don't know what that might look like, but I know this is what's necessary. So, Tonight, I want to continue on with that, from taking that first step of saying, I need to follow Jesus, to now, how do we continue to follow Jesus? And it's actually been exciting to see people already taking some next steps. Last week, we did have some people who recommitted their life to Jesus, saying, you know what, I need to fix some things. I've been heading the other way, and I want to fix my life back on Jesus. And we've had people throughout the year even saying, you know I want actually to grow more, and I want to get involved in Bible studies and book clubs, and it's exciting to see what God's continuing to do here. And as the series continues, we're going to look at the joy of serving and the joy of giving. But tonight, I want us to look at, I think it's one of the most exciting next steps that results in incredible experiences for everyone that's involved, not just the, the person who's actually making the decision, but that's the joy of baptism. Nothing, in my opinion, is more exciting than a baptism service when people take the next step in their love for God by going under the waters of baptism. And I've been asking God for people to baptize and that, that uh, it can encourage the, the people who make up the well and, and the, the life of the church. And if you were here last week, you probably heard that I'm going to be setting up a baptismal tank next week. And it's going to be right here. And uh, there's no one signed up yet. 
and I think I'm crazy. So I ran this by the pastor at our sponsor church, and I said, look, I feel like God's put it on my heart to have a baptism service, and he's like, great idea, you should do it. Who do you have wanting to be baptized? And I said, no one. He said, go for it. So I said, all right, let's explore this. But I believe that it's not just a challenge for some of you to take this step of faith. I think it's a challenge for me, and God's saying, look, you actually might look like an idiot. You might look crazy. You might look silly standing up there with a tank and no one in it. But he's like, I want you to do that. And you know what? I want you to know that I believe in this so much and I'm so passionate about this that I'm willing to look like an idiot up here with an empty tank just to prove to you that I'm giving it my all. I am laying all my cards on the table and I'm saying, you know what, God? You show up. You do what you want to do. And it's not to pressure anyone into it. It's not to guilt anyone into it or shame anyone. It's just to say, you know what? I'm going to follow through in obedience to God. What's the next step he's asking you to do? So next week's going to be a fun one. Man, it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be good. Don't worry if it's awkward and there's the long pause and I'm like, all right, let's just keep on moving on. But uh, as a church, I realized that we've never really talked about baptism. So that's why I want to talk about it tonight. And usually I like to, I like to look at topics from different perspectives, kind of like windsurfing. I was talking to someone yesterday who, who used a great analogy of windsurfing and, and kind of how you don't go straight on into the wind, but you kind of you tack and you, you go back and forth. And, but I feel tonight's topic needs to be one that needs to be addressed head on. And the reason why is just so we get on the same page. So you know my view of baptism, so you understand um, what our church's view of baptism is and how we practice it and our theology around it. And I believe it's important for us to talk about it and understand it together. So it's important to let you know where we're coming from, how we understand it, how we practice it, because you're, as you're probably aware, there are several various views on baptism. And while there are many great thinkers and theologians who've gone before us and they see things differently on this issue, I believe it's important for you to know where I stand on the issue. And that doesn't mean you have to agree completely with me, but I want you to at least ask the question. I want you to wrestle through with it just so we can all get on the same page. So what is baptism? So last week I mentioned baptism. It's like the wedding ring. Like you go up for your, to get married and you make this commitment and then you put on the wedding ring as a symbol of your commitment. And that's what baptism is. It's not salvific in the sense that it doesn't bring about salvation. It's not something you need to do to earn salvation. Rather, it's something you do to proclaim your salvation, to proclaim your relationship with Jesus. And you publicly show this new life that you found in Jesus. So here's how it works. God came up with this amazing idea and he decided that there'd be something that every Christian and every time and every place would do to kick off their journey in faith. It's something that we can do that links us with the universal church all around the globe and at every time in history. And every Christian at every time in history, in every place on earth, Jews in Jerusalem in 30 AD, Greeks in Philippi 60 AD, Anglo-Saxons in England in the 7th century, Slavics in the 10th century in Russia, Mongols in the 13th century in Asia, Brazilians in the 17th century, Japanese in the 19th century. God designed this amazing thing called baptism where the people who become disciples and followers of his son Jesus 
would publicly stand up and demonstrate, symbolize their devotion and faithfulness by going under the water to signify the death of Jesus and then coming up out of the water to demonstrate the resurrection of Jesus and his cleansing of our sin and entering into new life with Jesus as our king. So know this, baptism, it's not a salvation issue, but rather it's something from Jesus' life and teachings that we're told to follow. So if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we need to be following Jesus. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we have some of the last words of Jesus, perhaps one of the most famous passages of the Bible, where it says, therefore, go, which let me remind you is part of our vision, connect, grow, give, go. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So notice these last words of Jesus. Notice the order of things, because I believe it's the order that's important. It says to go and make disciples. So that's the first thing that happens. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And you can see here that baptism doesn't make you a Christian, because the next thing you do after you become a Christian is get baptized, to be baptized. And right after a person becomes a disciple of Jesus, it says to baptize them. And then the third thing it says, is to teach them to be obedient to the other commands of Jesus. So the order is interesting. First, become a disciple, a follower. Second, get baptized. Third, receive teaching so you can become a mature, obedient follower of Jesus. So now I want you to hold on to this for a few minutes and tuck it away in your minds because I'm going to come back and revisit this. But what I want to do now is, is talk about a very few interesting facts about baptism. And the first thing is, not one person knew when they woke up that morning that they were going to be baptized. Every baptism that we have in the New Testament was spontaneous. Now, this isn't often how it works today. I know for my own baptism, I went through several weeks and I met with an elder and it was a class and their teachings and I had to know and fully understand what I was committing to, even though let's be honest, I didn't fully know or understand what I was committing to, but still, I went through the course, I passed, and I was dunked. So I understand the heart behind it. I don't always agree with, with it, but I do believe that, that it is meant and designed to protect one another. It's meant to protect you, just to understand that, yes, th this is what I'm committing to. Because even just like we, I keep saying it's like a wedding ring, like with marriage too, you also prepare for that. You don't just go up there and hope for the best. You, you do prepare for it. But again, there is this aspect of it that you'll never fully know what you're getting yourself into. And then there's some protection just for the witness of people too, who are witnessing this act of faith that you're taking in your next step. And it protects them from, from watching you and then for you questioning things later, being like, wait, what did I commit to? And kind of the hurt that it can create within the community. But what it is, is we're making a commitment. And we're making this public statement and it's a symbol of our commitment to Jesus. And I believe that sometimes it can be a spontaneous decision. Better yet, I believe that sometimes it can just be spontaneous obedience. So it's not something that has to be put off. Because as we see in the New Testament, not one person knew that morning they were going to be baptized. In Acts chapter 8, 36 to 38, we have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. 
Now, the apostle Philip meets this rich, famous guy who works for the queen of Ethiopia, and he's sitting in his chariot, and he's reading a passage from Isaiah, and it's a prophecy about Jesus. And he asks Philip, what does this mean? So Philip tells the guy about Jesus, and just minutes later, he says this, as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. There's no waiting period going on here. There's simply this immediate and spontaneous obedience. And even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, in Acts chapter 9, he was called Saul at the time, and he's persecuting the church. And on his way to go persecute some more Christians, this blinding light shines down and actually blinds him. So Jesus reveals himself to Saul and tells him to go into the city. So his friends help him get there because he can't see anything. And for three days, he went without any food or water. But then God sends this guy, Ananias, over to the house where Saul is in Acts 9, verse 17. He laid his hands on Saul and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may get your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and was strengthened. Did you notice that right at the end? It blows me away, the order here. Saul is healed, then he's baptized, then he gets some food. I I love it because after three days of not eating or drinking, you'd think that the order would be he was healed, got some food, and then went and got baptized. But it was this immediate, spontaneous obedience The second interesting fact about baptism is not one person changed anything in their life before they got baptized. They didn't wait to become mature believers. They didn't need to prove themselves. Again, there was no class they had to enroll in. And in Acts chapter 2, where we have the beginning of the church, the first day of the church, Pentecost, where Christians, the Jesus followers, were filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up and preaches this amazing sermon, and he wraps it up by saying, Each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's the application in his sermon right there. He says, here's what you all need to do. Repent and be baptized. There's no waiting period. They don't need to believe and then wait for a few months and grow into maturity to be baptized. They can just do it right away. Because verse 41 gives us the answer to this saying, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So none of them knew that it was coming that day, and none of them changed anything in their life before they got baptized, other than committing themselves to following Jesus. So here's another example. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. This guy named Simon is a powerful sorcerer and he's completely steeped in Satan's wicked ways. So verse 13 says that when he heard the good news about Jesus, Simon himself believed and was baptized. Was Simon baptized as a mature believer? Well, a little while later, Peter and John came and laid hands on the believers and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw this power filling these people... He offered the apostles money and said, let me have this power too. 
That's not a mature Christian. He still doesn't understand what's going on. Verse 20 to 22 says, But Peter replies, May your money perish with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can't have no part in this. For your heart's not right before God. Turn from your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitterness and held captive by sin. You see, Simon believed and was baptized, but he wasn't a mature follower of Jesus. He still needed people around him to guide him and shape him. But that's how the New Testament church did things. You became a follower of Jesus, then you were baptized, then you were taught to become a mature believer. And that's where the church comes in. And some of you tonight might even be thinking, man, knowing what I know now, I would really love to go back and be rebaptized. I'd love to do it again. But here's the great news. There's no need for it. You've already made this public declaration, and even if you were immature, that's okay. Even if before you really knew and understood things, that's okay. It's to be expected. The beautiful thing is, I believe that God still uses these moments in our life to shape us, to transform us, to draw us near to him, and to even protect us. I was baptized when I was 18 years old. I went to Bible college when I was 20 years old, and I left the faith when I was 21 years old and wanted nothing to do with it again. But I firmly believe that God continued to protect me and keep his hand upon me and keep me close to himself throughout those years where I thought I was distant. But when I came back to Christ, we can make professions of faith again, but we don't need to go through the same acts. And I love it because even now, I don't fully understand everything. We're on this journey, and, and we still mess up time and time again. But we can keep coming back to God, and he continues to just pour out his grace, loving us accepting us, forgiving us. So the next interesting fact about baptism is not one person who was baptized was an infant. Every story we have of someone being baptized in the New Testament, all of them chose to be baptized. All of them. Now this is where there's different views upon this, but you might say, what about the jailer and his family in Acts chapter 16? Well, I thought you might ask about that. So, <laughs> good question. Acts chapter 16 Verses 31 to 34. They, Paul and Silas, replied, Believe in the Lord and Jesus, and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they had all believed in God. And this is a text that's often used to support infant baptism. But let me ask you, what are the chances that the jailer had infants in his family? Like, I don't know why our, our minds automatically think, oh, he has infants in his family. But even for myself, like, we haven't been a church too long, and my kids started off pretty young, and Kinsley was in the nursery, but they're already now in the kids' program and learning about Jesus and can articulate their faith in childlike ways, but in ways they understand. Like, 
Amanda had the opportunity to actually pray with Jesus, pray with Landon and ask Jesus into his heart to be his forever friend just earlier this year. And they're being taught by Megan, who's doing a phenomenal job, and they're doing this superheroes or leadership series, and they're telling us what a leader is and a follower of Jesus. So the chances that this jailer had infants are very slim. It's just a short period in our life where our kids are actually infants. But then as they grow up, they, they are able to articulate their faith. And I think that's why it's important that we call baptism believer's baptism rather than adult baptism. Because it's okay to baptize children. I'm okay with, with children who are able to say, I love Jesus, I'm choosing to follow Jesus, I want to be baptized, and they can understand it. So the, the chance that the jailer's household would include infants was slim. We, we have so much more time with our kids at an age of understanding. But it's interesting how we can add things and read things into it. But I would suggest that it's a weak argument for infant baptism based basically on an argument from silence. It's simply not stated. But now let's come back to what I brought up earlier about the order of the Great Commission. The order of Jesus' commands in Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I actually want to go back. Um, I feel like I skipped a part. I just want to make sure that I... Um, I'm not sure where it is in my notes. But I am going to say this because it's on my mind and I want to make this known. If you come from a tradition where you were baptized as an infant, don't get, take this the wrong way. I think your parents did a great thing, that they were dedicating you to God and saying, we want to raise our child in a Christian household, and that's why we actually have family dedication services. We don't baptize them because I do believe that we, we baptize people who, who have committed their life to Jesus, but we, we can dedicate them to the Lord. So a year ago, March, we had our first family dedication, and I know we're going to be planning another one uh, coming up soon. So don't take that the wrong way. Your parents were doing a great thing, but ultimately, it's a believer's baptism. We get baptized as believers. So now going back to the order of, of Jesus' Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's an interesting order that Jesus puts things in. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because sometimes Christians get the order mixed up. And what I mean is sometimes churches require new believers to go through a time of waiting before being baptized. And this practice began in the second century. But it amazes me how many times I've asked people who, who are followers of Jesus, have you been baptized? And they reply, maybe not in these exact words, but oh, I'm not quite ready yet. 
it's kind of this thinking of I'm waiting to become more mature as a Christian. But in this case, the order they're choosing is they become a follower of Jesus, then they get taught to obey, and then finally when they feel more mature and comfortable as a Christian, then they get baptized. Sometimes months later, sometimes years later. I think it was actually my grandma Bernie who didn't get baptized until her mid-50s, although she was a believer from a young age. And then other times you have churches starting with baptism. Ah, this is where I had that paragraph. They baptize as a baby, but a baby isn't a follower of Jesus. A baby is not a disciple. Then later the person becomes a Christian and is confirmed by the church, and finally they're taught to obey. And if you came from the background like that, like I said, please don't think that I'm saying it was a terrible thing that your parents did. They had the the right intent by wanting to dedicate you to the Lord. But ultimately, when we switch up those orders, we we aren't left with a biblical model. Baptism as a disciple is what Jesus commands. So now let's ask the question, why do I need to be baptized? I think that's a fair question to ask. Why does a follower of Jesus need to be baptized? So I want to outline just a few reasons here. Reason one, because Jesus commanded his disciples to be baptized. As I said earlier, followers of Jesus are those who are following. So Jesus was baptized. He asked his followers to be baptized. So simply, it's an issue of obedience. So then you might ask the question, well, why does Jesus command this? Which reason two is to go public with your faith. Baptism keeps people from being secret Christians. It challenges your friends and your family to to consider the claims of Jesus. The willingness to stand up for Jesus publicly is an indication, I believe, that you've truly encountered Jesus, that you've been spiritually reborn. Reason three is to be imprinted on your heavenly father. So just as uh, this comes from uh, the baby duckling syndrome, Uh, Just as baby ducklings imprint on their mother shortly after birth, it kind of sets the trajectory. They know who to follow, what steps to take. The same dynamic takes place shortly after a person is spiritually reborn. The choices we make as new Christians either set us off in the right direction of lifelong obedience or it can set us off in the direction of just misunderstanding and frustration. So God gave us baptism so that every new Christian would know what the first step of obedience looks like. There's no debate, no question. People become Christians, and the first thing they ask is, what does God want me to do? The answer is pretty simple, be baptized. Everyone has the same step. There's no confusion. And when Christians take the step of baptism, it imprints the person on their Father in heaven and kicks off their spiritual life on the best trajectory possible. So reason four is to create a memory monument. So in the Old Testament, when the people crossed the Jordan River, they made this huge pile of rocks as a monument to symbolize or a monument for generations to look at and remember what God did. In baptism, it's like that big pile of rocks. It's this big public monument that you and your family can look back on and remember the faithfulness of God. And finally, Reason five, to act in a drama of your salvation. Baptism is a wonderful symbol of what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross. And when we go down under the water, it symbolizes how Jesus was crucified and killed and buried 
in the grave under the ground. And through his death, that he paid the appropriate penalty that our sins deserved, this disruption that we participate in between the peace and harmony God desires for the world. And by trusting in Jesus and his resurrection, we're trusting and believing that our sins can be forgiven, that, that he's at work making all things right within us and around us. And that we can have resurrection life, this new power, now, today, forever. This is what's so good about the good news of Jesus. It's incredible. So when we come out of the water, like we practice baptism by immersion. Now the mode, there's different views on that too. I'm not so concerned by it. But the mode that we do is we do practice by immersion. So when you come back out of the water, it's a symbol of how the grave and how death couldn't hold Jesus down. He rose from the dead and gives us hope for a changed life here, now, and eternal life forever. So whenever we see this drama acted out in front of us, it's a powerful picture. And as a preacher who does this week after week and speak, I hate to admit it, but a baptism is probably worth more than a dozen of my messages combined. Like to see life change and this commitment happening right in front of your eyes, it's incredible. So baptism isn't just for you, it's for all of us, it's for the church. We all need to see baptism so that our faith can be encouraged. And so we are regularly brought back to the cross where Jesus not only died for our sins, but is alive and with us and offers us this new life today. So what's your next step going to be? What's holding you back? What's God asking you to do? Well, first of all, like we discussed last week, have you committed your life to following Jesus? Have you submitted and surrendered, surrendered your life to him, saying, no, there's this new kingdom order that I want to step into, I want to participate in, and Jesus is at the center. So if you haven't done that, that's the first step you need to take. Like I mentioned, those three options, you could say, nope, crazy, going the other way, need to think about it. But if you haven't made that decision, my prayer, my hope, my desire is that you would say, I don't know what it's all about. I don't have it fully formed, but I need to start orienting my life, posturing my life toward Jesus and putting my trust in him. So next, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been baptized, I'm going to ask you to submit to his life example and his teachings and take this step of faith. And next week as I'm up here with an empty tub, you're going to have an opportunity. Uh, there's so many thoughts going through my head right now, but I encourage you to pray through it. Pray about it. Fill it out on your connection card. The reason I haven't, uh, we haven't done the offering yet is because we're going to pass this around afterwards, and if this is something you even want to consider or discuss, just mark it on your connection card, and I'll reach out to you this week. I'd be more than happy to talk with you more about it and walk you through it. Now, some of you might be hit with this overwhelming sense of fear, and you're like, ah, what's going on? I know, I get it, I felt it. But what I've discovered is that usually when I experience that fear, it's because the Holy Spirit's at work and is speaking to me. And that's when I'm like, nah, I need to get out of here. But perhaps this is the fear of the Lord that the people experienced throughout the, the scripture. The, the fear when in 
an angel of the Lord encountered them. But you know what? The words that the angels always said time and time again was, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And that's where I want to encourage you tonight. Although it might feel like the scariest place to be in the arms, in the presence of God, is always the safest place to be. So you know what? As we learn tonight how people made these spontaneous decisions to follow Jesus, I'm actually offering you an unprecedented amount of time with seven days <laughs> to think about it, to pray about it, to consider it. And if you're thinking, I don't want to have to speak in front of people, here's the good news. I'm not going to make you. I'll ask you a few questions to profess your faith in Jesus and that you can say, yes, 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 and then we'll baptize you. But the funny thing is, is usually when people begin to take this first step of faith and they realize they're making this public declaration, suddenly they want to share their story. But if you're still like, yeah, I wouldn't mind sharing my story, but not in front of people, that was my grandma, that's why she waited so long. We have technology now. Let me film it. Let me do a 30-second thing, and we'll put it on the screen and share your heart and what God's been doing in your life. I remember when I got in the tub at the, the church I was at, and my knees were shaking, and I'm trying to hold the sheet. And I'm thinking it's going to drop, and I got through it. And I just remember this sense of being emboldened and empowered, and it was this amazing experience of sensing the Holy Spirit carrying me through. So just know you're in the company of good people. You're in the company of people who love you and welcome you and accept you and want the best for you, and we're cheering you on. So if you're really terrified about public speaking, we can work something out. That's fine. Don't let that be the issue. But for those of you who have been baptized and you're thinking, well, there's nothing I can do. Well, what I want you to do this week is pray. Pray hard. This is exciting for us. If you've been baptized, you know the blessing of taking that first step of faith. And even if you've had some bumps along the road, it's exciting to see other people say, man, like this is going to blow them out of the water. This is when they'll really experience Jesus changing their life. You've experienced the boldness, the Holy Spirit's filling, that empowerment by taking that step of faith. So we're praying for those who are considering baptism, for those of you who feel it on your heart. And next week isn't the only night that we're doing baptisms. It's not like, uh, this is a one-time deal. Like, we're going to continue to offer baptisms. And if you're just like, oh, man, I, I need to think more, continue to think. Dig in. Lean into Jesus. That's why we meet together, to continue to spur one another on. I'm passionate about this because I believe that sometimes it's just due to our own fears that we hold ourselves back from truly experiencing a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus. So what's holding you back? Are you ready to take the next step? Are you ready to be baptized? Because don't forget, life is better together.